Praise the Lord. You know, the, the series of messages is, who are you? Who are you? It's like I asked the children, because the ch- automatically, we've all formed ideas of who we are. We all have some kind of a concept of who we are, but in Christ, we are a new creation. See? And that's something that we really need to grasp. We are not what we once were. We are a new creation. We're children of the King. We are temples of God, temples of the Holy Spirit, temples of the living God. These are ideas that we've covered in previous messages. And this week, we're going to look at being those who endure the race that is set before us. This is written in Scripture, and our Lord Himself spoke to it. And so I want us to be prepared as we go forward to recognize that God's Word is true, no matter what anybody says to the contrary. I've had people tell me, whenever I've pointed out passages of Scripture that were contrary to their human doctrine, I've had them tell me that those are problem passages. And I tell them, no, the passage isn't the problem. It's your doctrine. And so we need to stick true to God's Word. You can answer that question, who are you, in many ways. You could say, well, I'm a child of so-and-so, or I'm a parent of so-and-so, I'm an aunt and uncle, so on and so forth, all your family connections. You could talk about your career. You could talk about your neighborhood. You could talk about your state. You could talk about your county. You could talk about your country, depending on where you are in the world. And... We can know that God, by His Spirit who resides within us, will teach us who we are in Him. So, we're going to open up to the 12th chapter of Hebrews, and if you want to, you can open up the Bibles there in your seats to page 1846, but before we read, and I think she's got it up on the screen there, I think that um, we should pray. Father... We pray for You to help us exalt Your name today. Examine our hearts. Please reveal anything that's contrary to Your will for our lives and open the eyes of our understanding. God, may every bit of Your Word be received and locked into our souls. Please enable us to attend to Your Word without distraction and overwrite all human teachings and traditions that are contrary to Your Word. Draw us into Your presence with a true heart and full assurance of faith as it's written in Hebrews 10.22. We would have that full assurance of faith. Wash over us with Your Holy Spirit-filled Word. Make us people of love for You and our neighbor and pour Your Spirit upon all who are within the sound of my voice that You would grant to Yours truly, Your servant, that with all boldness I may speak Your Word through the name of Yahashua, as Your servants of old were empowered by Your Spirit. May I also be. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 and following. Hebrews chapter 12. It would have been nice if I would have pulled it up, huh? That's not that hard. Beginning at verse 1, and this is what is written there. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, Yahashua, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons, as children. For what child is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but He for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched... And that burned with fire into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who were registered in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to, uh, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Yahashua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be sh shaken, 
Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. I trust that God will add His blessing to the reading and hearing of His Word. Did you hear that word holiness twice? That's contrasted to sin. We are to be people who walk in holiness, to get nearer to God. And part of the way we do that is by praising Him. Part of the way we do that is by worshiping Him. Part of the way that we do that is by heeding that still small voice within us. Obedience to God is how we find ourselves in the presence of God. If we run from God, we're not in His presence, even though He's ever-present. That entire chapter is about us employing our will against sin. This is the race that is set before us that we are to endure, that we run with endurance. Endurance, that that lasting quality of continuing even when you're tired. Endurance, that thing that happens whenever you keep on going even though the whole world's against you. Endurance, that quality of believers that enables us and empowers us to resist Satan and he flees us. Who are you? You are those who endure the race that is set before you. That's the race. It's an endurance race because it goes to the one that keeps on going. The Holy Spirit inspired the writer to the Hebrew Christians, and there's some debate about who that was. Some say Paul, some say not. It doesn't matter to me. I believe Paul was involved if he didn't actually write it with his own hand. But the Hebrew Christians had a lot of difficulties. And so this letter was written to straighten some things out. And like so many in the early church, there was sin. And so he had to address it. And the Holy Spirit inspired the writer to make several points to support his main idea. Look quickly at them to get a better understanding. The Greek word there, okay, the first thing, excuse me, the first thing the Holy Spirit wants us to do is remember that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, is he talking about a cloud? No, he's talking about a throng of witnesses. And those witnesses are the martyrs, the people that died for their faith. This is what he's referring to. When you go into the Greek, you look at the words and you see he's talking about a great number, an innumerable number of people who have given their lives for the faith. You're surrounded by them. That's what he says. They died for their faith. You're a part of that. You are a part of the faith that people have died for. We're not alone in the struggle against sin. Those who died for faith in Messiah, they had to fight the temptation to deny Him. Deny Him or die. That's what they were told, and they refused. Recant your faith, and they refused. 
And there could come a time in all of our lives when we face that same choice, whether we like it or not. I know that's not a feel-good message for Christianity today. I know there's not very many preachers who are going to tell you, you might have to die, you might have to give your life for your faith. But it could happen. And to further the point, the author instructs believers to look unto Yahashua, the one we call Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author. He authorized. He created. He began. He authored our faith, and He's the finisher. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the ending. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, I just want all of you for a moment to think of yourself hanging up on a cross way above everybody else without a stitch of clothing on, because that's how they did it. He despised the shame. And why? For the joy that was set before Him. And see, this is what the writer of the Hebrews is telling everybody who follows Him to do. Keep that in mind. He despised the shame for the joy that was set before Him, and each of us need to do the same thing. If, in fact, we are those who are running that race, if, in fact, we are those who endure the race that has been set before us. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, that's part of the joy, being in the presence of our Creator. That's part of the joy that we have and we can experience even when things are tough, when things are difficult, when we're facing difficulties for our faith. And there are people all over the world, I'll tell you folks, we're nowhere near where they are. There are people that are suffering for their faith right now, today, brothers and sisters in Christ, if in fact we are in the family of God, if in fact we are Christ's family all around the world, if in fact we are children of God, those are our brothers and sisters who are dying for their faith. And they're despising the shame for the joy that is set before them. Consider him, it goes on to say, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Striving against sin? Because it would be a sin to deny Him. And see, that's the warning here. That's the warning. It would be a sin to deny Him. Instead of placing your attention on the problem, keep your thoughts focused on Him. Focus on the salvation of your soul. He came, He gave His life that you could have everlasting life in the presence of Almighty God. Consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself. Think about Him. Don't think about you. Place your focus on Him lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Think about what He endured, not what you face. Think about those people that He came to enlighten. Think about this. They hated Him. They hated Him. They rejected Him. Think about those people that He came to free from sin as they dug their heels in and said, No, we're not going to move. We are not going to. 
Think about those who came to save from the wages of sin who killed him. See, when you're, when you're running into problems in life, you've got to think beyond yourself. And the writer to the Hebrews gives us a perfect example. Think of him. Don't think of yourself. Think of him. Consider him who endured such hostility. He despised the shame. So who are you? Well, as we said in the first message, you're temples of the living God. That's a great message, right? It's beautiful. We are te- God lives within us. We're God's children. And as that goes on, we learn that we're heirs of the king. We're heirs of the kingdom. We receive something from our Father. And you are also those who endure the race that's set before you. Now that one, that's a pretty tough message when you think about it, when you get into the depth of it. So how do we endure the race that's set before us? It's important that we understand that because we are those who endure the race. We lay aside every weight. We lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. How many of you know what a snare is? Anybody? Anybody know what a snare is? Would you mind telling us what a snare is? It's a trap, but as you struggle against it, it tightens up, right, Rich? Right. The snare tightens up and tightens up and tightens up. And what he's telling you is that sin, no matter what, when you get into it, it's like a snare. It locks on to you, and it doesn't want to let go. And he's saying, resist that. Don't go there. Lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. What weighs you down? Plain and simply, sin. Any sin. All sin. Every sin. Verses 5 through 11 that we read there in Hebrews chapter 12 tells us this. It instructs believers on God's chastening of His beloved children. It says if God loves you, you are His child, He's going to chasten you. Any sin, all sin, every sin's against Him, no matter what it is. No matter what the sin is, ultimately it is against God. You may be sinning against yourself. You may be sinning against someone else. You may be sinning directly against God, but every sin is against Him. God's your heavenly Father. He loves you. He loves you. If you sin against Him, He corrects you. And it's not pleasant, but it's for your own good. That's what His Word says. And I'm not going to expound upon that. I've touched on it in some other messages. But you have to know, if you're a child of the King, He's going to straighten you out, okay? And sometimes you're not going to enjoy it. I know. I'm speaking from example, from personal experience. In Hebrews chapter 12, as we read on, verses 12 and 13, is where we hear, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, that just sounds out of place, doesn't it? Like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, if you look in Isaiah chapter 35, we hear our father told Isaiah to strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not 
excuse me, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. See, there's the point. Okay, you're, if you get into sin, he's saying God's going to save you from that, but you've got to turn to him. You have to turn to him. And it's a message of encouragement. He's saying it's not always lost. You can still turn back. You can get out of that mess that you've gotten yourself in. God can cut that snare. He can remove it. You've got to ask Him. You've got to turn back to Him. In Isaiah chapter 40, we hear comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. And that's part of my role as the pastor here is to comfort people. But it's not my only role. I had a woman one time tell me, your job is to make us feel good. And I said, no, my job is to preach the Word. And the Word doesn't always make you feel good. But the Lord says, speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Do you hear the chastisement of the Lord falling upon His people there? They got double. They got double. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And here we learn that passage where we are seeing John the Baptist came as that voice crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A highway for our God. Yes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have. There's, none of us can say we're without sin. If we say we're without sin, we're a liar. All have fallen short. But thanks be to God, He paved the way, paved the way for our forgiveness. And how did He do that? With the sacrifice of Christ, who we are to be looking upon instead of those troubles that we're dealing with, instead of those situations that we endure here. All have sinned. All have fallen short. It's written that the one we call Jesus quoted Isaiah chapter 61 when he said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Are you stuck in sin? Do you have sin in your life? He came to set you free. He came to set you free. Free. Not partly free. Not somewhat free. Not free to come and go in the sin as you see fit. He came to liberate you from sin. That's what His Word says. And in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, we read, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Does grace allow you to sin as so many proclaim today? Grace does not give you a license to sin. It doesn't allow you to sin. No, grace enables you to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Grace enables you to come out of sin, not stay in it. And that's one of those passages that somebody says, oh, that's a problem passage. And I said, no, no, your doctrine's the problem. Because God's Word is true. And we are to live our life by His Word. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. Whoever keeps his word, it's written in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And what would that imply? If you don't keep his word, 
This love is not perfected in you. This is how we know that we're in Him. That's what His Word says. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. If, in fact, you are his, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, he enables you and empowers you to run that race with endurance, to stay the course, to keep on the path, to be heading toward that direction, that goal that he has for you. Who are you? Who are you? You are those who endure the race that's set before you. That's what His Word is giving you. He's showing you. You have the ability to run that race all the way to the end. You have the power. His Spirit is dwelling in you. You are the living, you're the temple of the living God. You're the living temple of the living God. As we read on there in Hebrews chapter 12, we hear pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which... No one will see the Lord. No one will, no one, no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. And there are those who say, we can't fall short of the grace of God. Well, he's saying we can. The writer of the Hebrews is saying that you've got to watch that you don't fall short. You have a role to play. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. We may not have bitterness among the brothers and sisters in Christ. We may not. It's not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. We must release all of that. We prayed this morning. One of the things that, and I know it was the Lord because I hadn't spoken with Sherry. One of the things she prayed about was releasing bitterness. Because bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by this, by bitterness, many become defiled. And then he goes into another section. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And there's a warning there. And those people that push the grace to sin doctrine ignore that warning too. We find five ideas that describe sin, contrast it, and warn against it. Right there. Seek peace with all. Seek holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Falling short of God's grace like Esau is warned against. Avoid bitterness. Beware being rejected and the inability to repent. See, you are those who are enduring that race. You are those who endure the race, if in fact you're His. Verse 18 to 22, those verses remind believers that we do not approach God on earth in earthly terms with human fear. When it came to the mountain and the the fire and the fear, they, they trembled. Even Moses said, I'm afraid. He says, you don't have to be afraid like that because we're coming to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and we have to remember that we are temples of the living God. Temples. If you're children and you're temples and you are those who can endure that race, you are those who are enduring. 
Verse 22 says, We've come to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, Yahashua, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. There's people that could do ten sermons on that passage. I'm just going to give you some bits and pieces because it's words of encouragement. It strengthens us to endure against sin. It strengthens us to resist temptation. It strengthens us. Okay, so who are you? You are those who resist temptation. You are those who endure the race that's set before you. How? By striving against sin. With an innumerable company of angels watching you endure. Don't think you're alone. Don't think that somehow, whenever that temptation presents itself to you, that somehow uh, nobody's watching. Because the Scripture says there's an innumerable number of angels, and you're in the company of a cloud of witnesses, martyrs. <laughs> Don't think you're alone. Don't think, oh, I can get away with this one. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. There are witnesses, okay? There are angels watching. Spiritual warfare. The angels of God, are, can I say, are rooting for you? You know, it's the angels that collect the souls at the end of time. It's the angels that cast them into the abyss, into the pit. Do you know that the angels rejoice every time a sinner repents? Why do you think that is? They're the ones that are going to cast those souls into the fire. I don't know about you, but that's not a job I'd want. I'd be rooting for the sinners too. Come on, you can do this. You got it. You got it. You can break free from this. You don't have to be there. You don't have to have that addiction. You don't have to be in that sin. Get out. Get out. They're watching you endure. God's messengers are pulling for you. In Matthew chapter 10, we hear that our Lord said, you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. And this was right after he said, your mother is going to go against you. Your brother's going to go. Everybody's going to turn against you. You're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. There's a million sermons that have been written just on that passage. Well, it doesn't really mean what it says. That's what they say. But that's what he said. He who endures to the end will be saved. There's a certain amount of endurance that's required, and we are enabled. It's not like God just throws us, okay, you came to Christ, okay, now you just got to run the race, and you're not going to get any help. No, He's giving you help. Turn to Him. 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 Can I say that enough times? Turn to Him, and He will enable you. He will empower you. He will give you everything that you need to overcome that temptation. You have what you need to endure the race. He tells us. Think about it, folks. If you entered the race... You follow the course that he set. You run the race with endurance. Almighty God's the one that set the boundaries of the race. He's the one that said, here's where you're going. Here's the finish line. 
Here's the parameters of the path that you're on, the way of Christ. He did that. He's the one that painted the lines, so to speak. You just stay in between the lines and you're all right. You'll be hated, but those who endure to the end will be saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, we hear, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Now, he's not saying everybody else is going to be excluded but you. What he's saying is he wants you to focus on that prize. He wants you to focus. Endure the race. Do what's required to get where you are going to be. He gives you the ability. Stick with him. You can't go wrong sticking with him. Oh, we can get offended ourselves. I mean, we can get in our own way. We can get in God's way. We don't like the way somebody said something to us, or we don't like the this, that, or the other, or whatever. And all of a sudden, oh, no, I'm not going there. It happened to me, folks, okay? It happened to me. I ran from God because of something that happened to me. And I don't want anybody to do that because we need to be ones who stay on the path. We need to be ones who endure the race. We need to be ones who are following after His will and His way, not our own. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It doesn't matter what anybody does. All that matters is that we're focusing on Him, the one who is the author and finisher of our faith. And if we let all of that other stuff fall aside, guess what? We'll keep our eyes on Him. Looking unto Him, the author and finisher of our faith. If we want to endure that race, we need to look to Him. We are those who are enduring. We're enduring. If, in fact, we're His, if, in fact, we are His, then we have been empowered to endure that race. We're able. It's not like He's telling us we can't do it. When we go on in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29, instruct about and warn against ignoring God's instructions. Almighty God's the one that set those boundaries, as I said. The warning gives us a contrast by referring to those who refused to heed the voice of God when He visited them on earth. He points it out. He said, they didn't listen. Look what happened to them. Now, this is in the New Testament period, and those are, there are those people today who would say, oh, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't does apply to us now. But why do, we, why do the New Testament authors point to those things? Because they do apply. Because God's Word tells us everything that's in there is for us. It is for our learning. It is for our example. It is for us to be able to walk on that path, to live our lives enduring in that race that He has set before us. We run that race with endurance. They didn't escape punishment, and we won't either if we turn away from Him. If we turn away from the one who speaks from heaven, we're not going to be any better than they were. He says so. That's what His Word says. It's not my Word, it's His Word. And that's why I stick to His Word, folks, okay? Because I know I can't go wrong with His Word. But I know I could go wrong with my words. I'm failable. His kingdom cannot be shaken, every, even though everything else can be. Everything else will be. Now, you know, there's some of us that have talked about God doing the shaking. He's shaking out His church. He really is. He's sifting. He's sifting, folks. We're in the midst of that sifting. 
I suspect that what we're going to see is things are going to get a little easier, a little better. We see lots of things happening in the world, and we're going to see things get a little easier, and then it's going to change again. You know, there are places in the world where they're using this virus scare to lock people down even more. Trace them and track them and kick down their doors, lock them up. And if the people of this land don't push back, and there are people that are pushing back. I just heard on the radio as Chris and I were on the road this morning, there were some college students, they were told that they couldn't do what they wanted to do, and they were supposed to do something else, and they refused. They said, no, we're not going to do that. And then whatever the order was, it was rescinded. And see, that's the idea. We need to push back. We need to be people who stand firm upon the rights that Almighty God has given us. We need to be people who are free, in fact. And that's part of enduring the race, folks. Not just giving up, sitting on our hands, and oh, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come for me. And I've heard people say that. I'm not. I'm looking forward to Him coming, but I'm not just sitting on my hands while I'm waiting. We have work to do. There are souls to be saved. We need to be out there collecting those souls. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we are among those workers. We need to be those people who are bringing the gospel to bear upon the souls of those people that are lost in sin because they can come out of that. They can also get on the path. They can also be those who endure the race that's set before them. And we're called to it. We're called to do it. Remember, it's written in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. He said, don't, don't say God tempted you. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Remember, you're the temple of the living God. God is within you. And so God's not going to tempt you to do evil. God can't be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Now hear this. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now the King James Version says lusts. There's things that we long for, that we desire. The final thoughts in the 12th chapter of Hebrew, to the, to the letter to the Hebrews, is that since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. We don't like to think of God as a consuming fire. You know, in modern-day Christianity, God is love. God loves everybody just the way they are. Well, His Word says He hates the workers of iniquity. And that means those who refuse to repent, those who refuse to come into His provision of grace, They've excluded themselves like the people outside of Noah's ark. God shut the ark. Boom! And all those people were saying, oh, this can't be, as the water rose. But he says so. God is a consuming fire. In Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24, we hear the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. He is jealous for your soul. He is jealous for your soul. He wants none 
but Himself to have your soul. You're His. He bought and paid for you. He deserves to get what He bought and paid for. And that means renouncing everything else. That means running from everything else. That means cutting ties with everything else. That means begging Him to cut those shackles, begging Him to cut the snares of sin. He's a consuming fire. We hear of people praying for God to pour His fire down upon us, and there is a call for that because the Holy Spirit is observed in Scripture as a fire burning. When you think of that as a purifying fire, not a consuming fire. The Holy Spirit wants nothing more than to have you endure that race that is set before you. Are you willing? Are you willing, really willing, to pick up your cross daily? Are you willing to sacrifice everything for Him? Are you willing, should the time come, to join those witnesses that have not denied their faith? Are you willing to keep your eyes focused on Him? Are you willing to do what He's called for you to do? Because each of us have a role in the body. Each of us has something to do that He calls us to do. Are you willing to do that which He is calling for you to do? I hope so, because that's part of your race to endure. And as I wrap this up, I'm going to ask you again, who are you? Are you those who endure the race that is set before you? Because that's what the Scripture shows we are to be. No temptation has overcome you or overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape. So Satan cannot tempt you in any way that you can't get out of it. And it might mean physically running away from that temptation when we're tempted. We're able to overcome. That's what he says. You are enabled to overcome temptation, that you can draw near to God in holiness, that you can draw near to God in righteousness. You know, when we read in the Scriptures or the teachings of that one we call Jesus, one of the teachings really upset everybody and a whole bunch of people left. And he turned to the twelve and he says, hey, you guys are going to leave too. You done with me too? And Peter, he spoke up and he says, Lord, you're, you're the one with the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? And we need to be those kind of people. We need to recognize, yes, there will be people that fall away. In fact, the Scripture tells us that there is coming a great falling away, and I'm wondering if maybe we aren't in it right now. I'm starting to wonder, folks. I'm serious. I really am. I can't say for certain, but I'll tell you, it sure looks like it to me. We're seeing a wholesale abandonment of the truth of God's Word for everything and anything else that somebody else brings down the pike. Instead of sticking with God's Word and saying, well, God said, and I'm going to go with that. That's the final word to me. God said, here's the parameters, okay? He set the guidelines for living. He said, here's the race, run it. Man says, well, you know, God didn't really mean that. What He meant was... 
And they're changing it. And we're to be those who endure that race. We're to be the ones who run that race for Him. Not for ourselves and not for anybody else. We are to run it for Him. See, and with the Holy Spirit within you, as temples of the living God, as children of God, do you think that God isn't going to protect His children? What parent in this room or watching online or listening online would not protect their parent? Oh, we know there's some that won't. But think about this. What good parents, what loving parents would not protect their child? You have that protection. You have that protection, as this young lady quoted earlier from the Word of God. You have it. My brethren, it's written in James chapter 5, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Pay attention to their example. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the intended by the Lord, that end that was intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, he says that in the same, the same verse. With, you saw what happened to Job, right? Job was beat up. God let him get beat up. And how could the writer there, James, the brother of our Lord, how could he say the Lord is very compassionate and merciful when he let Job get beat up? So don't think for a moment when you're getting beat up, when the, when the Lord allows the devil to beat you up. Sometimes the devil will beat you up because the Lord said, go ahead. And that could be the chastisement of the Lord upon you to get you back on the path, get you back in the race. God is compassionate. He's very compassionate and merciful. You know, His Word tells us over and over, and I've said this many times in the pulpit, His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. Don't think you can outrun God. I tried. I tried for a lot of years. But I learned, and I learned the hard way. I bear the scars of it, and I live with the pain of it. But I know you cannot outrun God any more than you can outgive God. I learned that one the hard way, too. Well, I'm just thick-headed, I'll tell you. But God straightened me out. He's got me back on His path, and I'm running that race. I'm one of those who endure the race that's set before me. This uh, passage, it's... In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, it is written, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now that was written to the captives in Babylon, okay? But it's applicable to everybody who is a child of the king. And sometimes when we're chastised, we need to look to this and say, We have a future. We have a hope. Sometimes when we get off the path and He brings us back on, we have to say, we have a future. We have a hope. You are complete in Him, it's written in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, who is the head of all principality and power. You are complete in Him. You lack nothing to endure the race. You are complete. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 39 tells us that you are not those who draw back to perdition, but you are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You're a believer. And so you're not one who draws back. 
You're the one that endures that race that's set before you. And remember that no matter what, as a believer, you are one who is empowered to endure. You have what you need to overcome everything and anything that goes against you enduring that race that is set before you. You're a child of the King. You're the temple of the living God. You're salt and light. Maybe that's where we'll pick up next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You, Lord, that we are, in fact, temples. Temples of Your Spirit. Temples where You dwell, enabling us and empowering us to endure the race that is set before us. We thank You, Father, that we are Your children, and that as children we are heirs, heirs of the kingdom. Let us lose that focus on this world and gain a heavenly perspective. Let us be your people who love you supremely and love others as ourselves. Help us to always remember to look to Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, that we would recognize that there is nothing in this world, any challenges here, that can overcome us, because he who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. And I pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.